Hi everyone, my name is Haley. And this is Laura. And welcome to The Body Pod. Welcome everyone to The Body Pod. Today I have Dr. Tony Pataji back on. I'm actually sitting in his lovely library right now in Australia. So welcome back, Tony. Great to be here. Today we are talking about all things injury, and I wanted Tony to discuss what injury looks like because all of us are going to face some injury at some point, and the women that I work with and that I hear from online are usually just taking the time off from exercise altogether when they have something happen to them where either the upper body or the lower body is inhibited. So we are going to discuss what that should look like or can look like with proper training and working around injuries. So Tony, how if somebody gets injured, and especially in this later stage of life, 40s, 50s, is the best thing to do for most situations, this is going to vary on what's what's happening. But for most situations, Should women be more taking it easy, resting, or if they have limbs, they can move? Should we we be doing what we can to work with our muscle mass and not lose so much ground if we are recovering? Depending on where the injury is and what it is, I am always an advocate of continuing to do what you can do. And this is because we essentially have a muscle-centric approach to our health. And it works on a very simple premise that we break down or we lose muscle at around 20 times faster than we can build it. This becomes really problematic when we're sick and bed resting. And we just can't get out of bed, whether it's COVID or a flu and you are bedridden. It's at those times that we lose considerable muscle mass. When we have injuries, injuries essentially are gonna fall under two broad categories. One, you have an acute injury, you're skiing, you hit a a black run, ski digs in, and you damage your ACL. You trip over, you break a wrist. These acute injuries are sudden, they weren't present before, and they will require typically complete immobilization of the area that has been damaged. But most of the injuries that we experience as we age and as part of life and as part of training are these chronic insidious injuries that come on slowly and then are present typically in the form of a tendon or a ligament that has become damaged. Taking a muscle-centric view, rest is rarely the best thing. You have to find what you can do and keep training because we lose muscle so radically when we immobilize and stop. Okay, so let's talk about that because I'm not sure what that looks like. How fast are we going to lose muscle mass if we are immobilized? So I break my arm, can't do anything for X amount of weeks. How fast does that change? There is enormous amounts of research on muscle loss and strength loss. But the issue that we have when trying to take that research and then apply it in an everyday setting is that these frequently are either bed rest studies or they're complete immobilization that you put an arm in a cast and you measure what goes on. And 
often, as we were saying, unless you have broken something in, a, in, a, in, in an accident, you're not going to have an immobilized limb. You might have a sore elbow or a sore wrist or a, a rotator cuff issue, and you can still move it. It's not immobilized, but you can't have full function. I'm saying all of this because I can't throw out a number because it's age dependent and whether you're immobilized versus still able to move it. But the data that we do have at worst case scenario, which has been either performed on comatose patients in a hospital setting, or they have given you bed rest, have shown that one week of bed rest, like you would have with COVID or the flu, can lead to astonishing both strength, muscle, and then indices of muscle like power, for example, they drop astonishingly between three and 7% within a week. It's, it's, it's very large amounts. Along with that comes with glucose control. We don't control our blood sugars as well. In, an, in a study of older individuals, it took about six months to return all of that back to pre-study levels which is really frightening, but it speaks to that point that we lose muscle and function about 20 times faster than we can gain it. And, and this is why when we do hurt something or we experience pain, we always try and find something that we can do so we can preserve function and muscle contraction around other areas while you're doing rehab on the primary area. Okay, so I had full immobilization from a knee surgery for six weeks. And I had read some research that the opposite limb, when you're working one leg, and then the, op the limb that's immobilized still gets a little bit of love. Is, is there truth to that? There is absolute truth to that. And as a physiologist, I find this astonishing to believe because I know how long it takes to build strength and muscle with two limbs working. But the research is there that if you have an immobilized limb and you work the good limb, there is a transference and you don't lose as much strength and muscle mass. You can also use imagery and imagine that you're contracting muscle. You can use devices that are electrical currents called electrical muscular stimulation or TENS. Mm -hmm. And that can be working around the injury and that provides an external impulse. So rather than the brain activating the muscle, it's the machine activating the muscle. And it's not as good as brain to muscle, but it's still better than nothing. And that's what they use in comatose studies. And these studies are really interesting because the patients are out, they're in a coma. And on one limb, they put the EMS and drip feed protein. On the other leg, they just drip feed protein, but no electrical stimulation. That electrical stimulation plus the protein is enough to preserve muscle function. That's incredible. I found that so fascinating. So is working around an injury, like a, a limb, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. If you can still walk, walk. If you can still do some lower body exercises, do that. But it seems like the back would be the hardest. The back is the on. hardest. You can work around most areas. And as soon as you prefaced our conversation with the word injury, it's the back that's the most challenging to work with because usually back involves complete bed rest when it really is acute and chronic. And that's where you would try and get on top of pain medication so that you can move around because it's the muscle contraction that disposes of the blood glucose, the blood sugars, but it's also the muscle contraction that triggers the protein synthesis so that you don't lose muscle mass. It's very difficult to grow it, but it's quite easy to maintain it. It just mm -hmm. requires 
muscle contraction. And if you have back pain, which is debilitating, then in those situations, you would use pain meds so you can move around so you don't lose function to the lower limbs, the calf, the core of the hamstrings and the glutes. Okay, so with back pain, because I feel like everyone is going to experience back pain at some point in their life. And most of the time when that happens and you're, you are out, down and out for the count until some of that inflammation wears off and, and your body starts to heal. But can, it is a lot of back pain preventable with just good strength? Strength is a, it is a term, is a catch-all term that covers muscle function. And there's different types of strength. There's strength that is a lot really quickly, which we call power. And there is strength that is lower amplitude that works long periods of time. We call that strength endurance. Studies have shown that strength endurance seem to be very predictive of back pain. The more strength endurance you have, the least amount of back pain. So they're strongly associated. From a strength coaching perspective, teaching our clients to use their hip muscles and not their back muscles is usually the first thing that I go after because it's not that people have weak backs. It's often that they just have inappropriate lifting mechanics and they're very good at using spinal muscles, which are very small compared to the large gluteal muscles. Teaching technique is of critical importance. And in a well-rounded back program, it would teach the trunk how to stabilize, to create rigidity, locking the ribs to the pelvis via an abdominal brace. So there is no movement from the side, from the front, from the back, while a client learns to move around the ankle, the knee, and the hip. For those mm -hmm. people who are very symptomatic with their back and may experience back pain several times a year, they will be very good at using their legs and their spine. Step number one for me is to identify, are you using your ribs to pelvis too much or can you stabilize that and move around everything else and i would use drills to teach that yes so if somebody has had back surgery that's like i had back surgery when i was 17 and i hear i mean my i think my path might look a lot different than than a lot of other people but it seems like everyone like once they've had back surgery it's like well i can't I can't lift because I've had surgery and I have a bad back, but I'm sure you've seen people overcome this in years and years, decades of training. There are documented case studies of world-class lifters who have broken their backs and have returned to world-class lifting. And first comes the need analysis. Why did you break down in the first place? Mm -hmm. What caused the original injury? And sometimes we're not gonna know that, but by simply provoking the pain, when does it hurt? and watching how individuals move. Do they move too much through their spine and not enough through their hips? Then we can design a specific program to teach how to move at the ankle, knee, the hip and preserve spine function. And of course you need strength endurance in the trunk. That's where the plank holds, side, front, back, all come into place and the myriad of variations. They are teaching stability where we want it and then movement where we want it. Mm -hmm. And that's very important that you rebuild confidence and strength endurance at the front core, the side core and the back core, and then learn to move skillfully and use the hips and the knees rather than using the spine. Okay. So 
if we're not looking at acute trauma, acute injury, then all of these tendinopathies can pop up most of the time. Are these things preventable with a good program? Generally, yes. There are outliers to this where people are predisposed to having tendon ligament injuries. But by and large, for the vast majority of people, the answer is they are preventable because the tendon, when a tendon complains and granulates such that it becomes a tendinopathy, it's usually a sign that the last six months or more of training have been inappropriate with the amount of load that has been placed on the tendon rather than what's placed on the muscle. In other words, the training volume exceeded the tendon resilience. Mm-hmm. And understanding how the stabilizing system works with the prime movers. For example, the shoulders are very common. And if you're trying to develop the shoulders or the chest or the back muscles, the stabilizing unit of muscles that holds the upper arm and compresses it into the shoulder socket has to counteract the strong pull of the chest, the shoulders and the back. If there's too much love and attention given to these big movers and not enough to the smaller muscles, then eventually we'll see a battle in favor of the big muscles and the smaller muscles complain and it pulls the humerus out of place and then that granulates the tendon. Mm. So understanding exercise selection, that you can't just train for the muscles that you want to grow or look better all year round, Mm -hmm. you will have to give some attention to the stabilizing muscle units and we have them at the humerus, at the scapula, through the trunk, the hips and the feet. Okay, so, and I think that as you assess me this week, I'm weak in all of those, (laughs) unfortunately. And I do, I mean, I spent the last year since I was down here working on downplaying the upper traps. And yet it's, you know, I, I was really frustrated because I still am seeing these weaknesses. And I said, but Tony, I worked on it all year long. So they must be... I mean, the importance of them, number one, but also it takes a hell of a long time to get those. It's frustratingly slow, but there's a reason for this because lifestyle fights back against us. Mm -hmm. Let's take the foot and the shoulders, for example. They're the two most common. In fact, I could have a hundred people in front of me and I'm blindfolded and I would write one program that targeted the feet, the hips and the shoulders for stability and would be right 99% of the time. We we virtually all leak energy through those areas. Mm -hmm. And let's have a look at the foot and we'll work our way up. We wear supportive shoes that essentially are casts for our foot muscles. So there's no surprise that the muscles that keep the arch up or stabilize the foot ankle are weak relative to the knee muscles and the hip muscles. You might spend 10 minutes three times a week doing an exercise for it and bringing up the strength, but then you'll wear shoes for the rest of the day that immobilizes them. Mm. So that's why you're you're fighting an up battle. If we take the shoulders as another example, you can spend 10 minutes three times a week improving the setting and stability of your shoulder blades. But then every time we pick up a phone with our dominant hand, it will pull one scapula into protraction and our head goes forward and down And we're like this for hours a day. We're screwed. (laughs) In other words, let's not beat ourselves up that 
we work on the stabilizers, but they're not where we want them to be because mm -hmm. lifestyle fights back against it. And that's why we also need a lot of cognitive reminders to when we are on the phone, chin in, shoulders back. And you'll notice this even when you're driving. If you sit like this, your head will be forward. All of lifestyle is sending us in this position. Mm -hmm. And if you're a female and you have breasts, everything is pulling forward. Yeah. And we can't expect 10 minutes of weight training three times a week to 100% correct that. Okay, so I guess the driving points are, number one, focus on a good foundation program, which we offer, and to really like devote that time for X amount of weeks or months, whatever somebody needs, but then to really pepper them into mm -hmm. other programs that is specific to that individual. That's right. Traditional models of programming that strength coaches use are do something, build it like build foundational strength, develop stabilizers, and then move on. Mm -hmm. My experience in the fitness industry has shown that that approach and tra traditional model is deficient. In other words, if we spend two months building your feet and your hips and your shoulders, and then we leave it and we go on and work on everything you want to work on, build your shoulders, build your glutes, build your abs, and we forget about those stabilizing areas, they detrain really quickly because we wear shoes and because we're on our phones and we drive our cars. And I bring them in now. So all programs throughout the year, yes, we focus exclusively on these when we start, and then I pepper them in so every program keeps them just keeping on the back burner for the rest of the year. Yes. And I love that because all of these harder and advanced programs that we offer, I still see those when I'm inputting them in, like there's, you know, the rotator cuff and there's, you know, the side core and all of these notoriously weak areas in, in females and in men, but females for us. So I have loved that part of your programming that that is all inclusive and just different at, at different points in a training year. So if someone is working around injury, then the best thing to do, number one, is to find anything that you can do with the mm -hmm. limbs that you have. Mm -hmm. That's more challenging with, say, the back, but not impossible. We could do a lot of supine work mm -hmm. with, you know, just arms and, and legs or whatever is appropriate for that person. Absolutely correct. There's always something to do. Last year, I had two clients who had abdominal surgery, both different types, couldn't do anything from knee up to shoulders. So we did a lot of hand work and elbow work and calf work. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's not exciting, but it's better than not doing anything. Yeah. And it means that when we do go back and load with dumbbells and barbells, the hands and feet are really strong and we don't need to worry about those. Mm -hmm. They can hold on to things. And it's actually started the next block of training in a really good foundational position. So when's the last time you've had a big injury? Acute injuries are always cycling for me. So I've had three offs on a bike, hurting my knee and my hip, but nothing too major. Uh, mm -hmm. I have scars to prove it. <laughs> and I, I would say I'm symptomatic with my back maybe three times a year. And I get a really cranky back. And it's always the same. A lot of driving, sitting in flexion, mm -hmm. and then uh, training that next morning. And my back just still has the memory of sitting or, or cramped. And perhaps I would be smarter and do more opening exercises. But seven out of 10 people suffer back pain. Mm -hmm. And 
If you have limb asymmetries, which I do because of my injuries, they're not uncommon. Yeah. Well, I always take, and I haven't had that many injuries as well, but I always take the times when I do to really work on the boring stuff mm -hmm. that like grip work, well, if I, whatever I can do to keep those areas, because then you're not, you're at least doing something and working on areas that need to be worked on anyways. Sure. It's just not as fun. So thank you so much, Tony. This has been amazing. I hope this has been really informative for you all and make sure that you are working around your injuries. And I hope that we can bring Tony back for a part two. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and sharing the body pod with your friends. Until next time.